Are you ready? Ready to bring a revolution to your relationships? Ready for the experiences on your dating adventure to evolve? Ready for more passion, intimacy, connection, and love in your relationship? Ready to heal past relationship wounds? You're in the right place. I'm Alan, the Love Engineer, and this is the Relationship Revolutions Podcast. In this series, you'll get guidance and tips from me, interviews from other relationship experts, insights from couples who already have a great relationship, and other mind-opening conversations. Hey, and welcome to today's episode of Relationship Revolutions. Today, I am joined by a man who describes himself as a tattooed brummy with a beard. And that pretty much sums him up. Though there's a lot more to him than just his looks. He is a coach, he's a stand-up comedian, and he's an expediatrist. And in this conversation with Dave, I actually found out quite a few useful things. And also, did you know that um, stand-up, stand-up comics can also be funny when they're sitting down? And now to my conversation with the one and only Dave James. Yeah, click click record before we get too deep. That, that's <laughs> that's why that's that's relationship advice for you straight away, isn't it? <laughs> it is indeed. Just imagine every date having to record it just to cover your own rear end. And so you know, thing is it's going that way. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say, and and in in joking, you know, joking aside, yeah. Mm. Yeah, you may have also provided me with something which I can use for my stand-up, so I'm going to make a quick note of that, actually. Um, <laughs> that could be quite useful. Yeah, I've said something on a re- recent um, podcast that um, you might, you could use, I don't know, but in the current dating climate where you've got a profile, the pictures have been either done by AI, they're Photoshopped, they're filtered, and then... The actual text on the profile is written by ChatGPT. You get two people that like that. They communicate with going through ChatGPT before sending every message. And then they get in the same room. Who the hell are you? And why is your communication style suddenly fell off the planet? Well, the, I mean, this is this is one of the things, this one of the lines I do have in my stand-up is... As I go through the, the recent stuff I've been doing, I go through and I talk about dating, talk about how, how dating is so different. Now in the future, you know, back then it was you meet someone, cool, and then things happen. Now it's all swipey swiping on apps. And one of the one of the lines I, I I talk about is a little skit is I talk about the fact that you have to lie about everything, you have to lie about your age, your height, your hair color, or absence of hair. You have to have to lie about your name. You have to lie about what you like and enjoy. And then I, I say that my my dating profile, I think it was my Tinder profile I use, which is ironic because I've never used Tinder, but I use it as part of the sketches. My Tinder profile says that I am a, I think it's a an obese dwarf called uh, called Kirsty. Um, and then I go into the fact that actually it's probably my Dungeons and Dragons profile. But it's it's a it's a it's a you know it's a real thing, isn't it? That the, yeah, there'd be people in the audience going, yeah, actually, I have actually lied about certain things. I even had a mate who who was dating on on one of the other apps and he met with this this lovely lady who was you know put down 40 out on a profile and the first thing she said to him is um when they met he said just to let you know that actually that's not true i'm actually 53 but i prefer to connect with younger people and i feel young at heart and and his first thought was well hang on if you if you're lying about that that's a small thing relatively 
what else might go on later on. And it's a really, really serious thing about honesty, authenticity and and connection. Absolutely. Um, Years ago, when I I think it was after my divorce, um, there was one lady I was chatting to and she describes herself as a little extra paddy. And I could cope with that, as most men can. (laughs) I kid you not, I gave her a hug and my hands would not meet each other. It's like, okay. Now, as your mate said, well, if she's not been fully truthful with that, what else? And one of the keys to making a relationship, relationship work is trust. And that's just gone out the window. I suppose, though, what, what I would say to that, the, the bit about extra padding is that, that there's different ways of viewing that because that, that becomes a perspective thing. I mean, I mean, age, even then there's a perspective thing, but yeah. age is a number, isn't it? It's like, you, you know, you count, you count the years in the same way you count the rings if we chopped you in half and you look like a tree. The bit of extra padding bit, because, I, you know, I am by no means overweight, but I would say that I am heavier than I'd like to be and yeah. I would describe myself that way. So I think I think it's it's really interesting, isn't it? On, on perception, what if it I is. say if I say to you, we're going on a podcast, and by the way, I have a little bit of extra padding. It, it's what goes on in in your mind based on your experience and your bias. Yeah, yeah, definitely fascinating, isn't it? It is. It's like remember my master coach trainer when he was talking about relationships and stuff. One of the things he said is um, the dating process and relationship stuff. Now we we put out this persona that. There's no flies on me, love. And you start building this um, this connection or relationship and then it decides to get a bit more serious and then you get married and you, just before you walk da- down the aisle, like, hang on a sec, let me just get me bag of crap and off you go. And then all this crap comes out in the relationship farther down the line. What if we were to say, actually, before we get too serious, this is some of the crap that I'm dealing with. Are you mm-hmm. willing to... Help me unpack it and get rid of some of it. Would that be a positive thing or would that um, put people off? I don't know. A lot of it depends what's in that case. Yeah, and, and yeah, and, that, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's it's what's in the case, but also where is that person in their life? I am I am in a much better space now to be able to to, to be with someone who has a history, but is also up and upfront and honest about it. And, and I'm upfront and honest about my history. I talk about the things which have gone off me. The things which I'm still yeah. working through now, which are reasonably significant at times, um, yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting one. How, how much do you how much do you talk about at the beginning, um, and when is the right time to do it? And I yeah, I don't know. I have the right answer. I'm not. I don't I'm not think a relationship does. Coach. No, and I'm not a relationship coach, which is um, probably very obvious based on on many of my relationships in the past, including the one to myself. So yeah, you you probably don't want to be taking dating advice ever from me. So. Let's get get some background information on um, on this persona I see on the screen ne- next to me the the bearded Robbie with tattoos as you describe yourself the the, the man who is who is heavily <laughs> gold blimey what do you want to know how far back do you want to go um, well from what I understand from your talk I heard recently at um, Circle Networks you had a previous marriage which. Um, well, as it doesn't exist anymore, wasn't um, didn't go the way you were anticipating. So, what's life like now compared to back then, and and the days of your foot fetish? <laughs> so, what I will say about about marriage is, I am still married. We we haven't we haven't got divorced. That that is something which is on the cards. Okay, we just, we just never got around to it. 
Um, but been separated three years. And the probably the, the the thing which led into that and what what for me is probably a, a big part of how I ended up here. So I'm crossing my legs to get comfortable now. I feel like I'm I'm in for the long haul. So I'll go back a few years. I'll go back to to when I was a teenager. So when I when I was at school, there was a there was a friend at school who was abducted and murdered back in back in 1988. And I'm saying that from a headspace place because if I take it to to the heart of the body at the moment, you'll have me having tissues and I won't be coming out for a while. But that was a big change for me because as a teenager, as a 14 year old, it was how do you express yourself to the world? And the way I expressed myself to the world was via anger. That traveled right the way through my, my adult life. And it it followed me through um, various relationships, which, which started and failed. Um, some relationships, which went on a bit longer, some relationships, which were, you know, totally non-starters, but also things like university and first jobs. And, and it, it certainly set me on the path to probably not have a linear path through life. It was always going to be something quite interesting. And then I met my my wife, my ex, um, when we both worked in A and E. And it was it was it was great. And we we had three children together. We we got married. Um we got married between between child one and child two. Um as of when I was a podiatry student, well, and when we'd both been A and E nurses. And then with three children coming along, the children were the, probably some of the things which which threw me. They were the things which really challenged me because they, they kids take you back to basics. Kids kids have this ability to to get right into your heart without even getting to know you first. It's not like the hi, how you doing? What do you like? Oh, oh, do you like cheese? Or how how do you feel about Christmas? None of that stuff. It's just wow, straight in. Yeah, and it really destabilized me. Really, really threw me. And I'd probably. Looking back on it now, go back and say I probably had some element of postnatal depression. I can look at that now and go, you, probably that was the case. Back then, there would have been no way that I had the emotional intelligence to entertain the fact that as a bloke, is it possible for me to have postnatal depression? Yeah. Having spoken to some you know, people now, it's like, well, absolutely. So the anger kind of did this, it intensified and it up and down. And it was, you, you very much used your pattern for me. And I, I used to go through, used to go through patterns of, of, of huge amounts of anger, reacting to very, very little in relative terms, break things, and then I'd withdraw and disassociate for a while because I was so scared of it happening again. And I was very upfront and honest with my, um, with my, with my ex about that. Um, but I think even then, if you, you say it, until you actually see it, it's a very different thing. Yeah. Um, and this kind of continued. There were very bits of therapy back in sort of 2006, 2007, CBT. But in 2015, my wife threw me out. She she literally just had enough of my behavior and was like, right, get out, get out the door. Now, now I didn't get out the door. I was I was very stubborn because I thought we could sort it out. And in the end, I had to go. And I was out for a couple of weeks. That was the catalyst for me to go, right, I've got to sort this out. I cannot let my anger rule me in the way that it did. And that was my, I mean, you know, cheesy coach term alert, my my personal journey, which which came up. Oh, I see, I've done that now. I always do this on the videos. I don't know what Zoom does. And then Zoom freezes <laughs> the screen. So for those of you who are watching, not are not with just an audio-only source, you just see my screen. But I, I went on that journey and I started to to really look at what was my trigger, what was what was really making me behave in a particular way. And really found a way of, of helping to manage that, helping to have a much better relationship with me. The challenge was with that, that I, it, it ultimately, it didn't save my marriage. And 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 that's okay. 
you know, I look, I look on that now and, you know, I can see that actually it was the way it went was exactly the way it was meant to go, exactly the right way for both of us at that time. What's really interesting for me is had that happened pre-2015, it would have been a real mess for me. But the person I had become on that journey was, was very, very different and so could handle what was going on. And all that change, all that personal development sat at the same time as I went from running my own podiatry business. In fact, I'd left... Pardon me, I'd left the NHS in 2015, beginning of 2015. Had a bit of a, a burnouty breakdown during 2015 and then would, would, yeah, was thrown out of the house. And then by 2018, I decided that actually, after being coached, I didn't want to be working as a clinical podiatrist anymore. So that, hence the foot fetish. It was a professional foot fetish, though, so it was okay. People paid me for it. People paid me for it and I had a certificate and everything. Um, and I decided I wanted to coach people instead. And that kind of led me down that route of, of being where I am now, you know, five years down the line from selling my business, working with individuals, speaking about you know, all kinds of stuff, including you know well-being and a little bit of entrepreneurship and a bit of marketing and a bit of business and all kind of odd things, lots of variety, which I always tend to go for. And also then the stand-up comedy on top of it. So yeah, I mean, going, going back, there's been lots of things which I can trace back to that thread of anger which led through everything and then that realisation I had to do something to to not let that control me. Yeah, it's amazing how sometimes we need to get taken to that brink to make a decision to do something different, especially as men. Um, my friend Joe Horton on his podcast regularly talks about um, men being in a free fall. I think someone might say, oh, you should pull, pull the cord. No, I've got this. I've got this. And then a meter from the floor, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. By which time it's too late. Yeah. And um, at least, to be fair, you you had a warning from her. I came home to an empty house. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, and the thing is, the, the the warnings were were probably there, and and I you know I absolutely yeah. applaud my ex for for what she did, and and I've said this to her, you know, that actually turning around and having that decision, and we making that decision, and that choice to say, I'm not doing this anymore, get out, is is huge, absolutely yeah, huge. So it's a proper pattern interrupt, and but the sign the signs were there all along. The sign, yeah, there the were, yeah. the, the, but I just I just hadn't read them, and actually. There was elements in the way that I suppose we both behaved, which were which were giving it space for that behaviour to be okay, and not condoning it. But it was there was space for me to to kind of lose my cool, lose my temper, break some things, and then go and withdraw. It became a pattern which was was accepted, yeah. a pattern which became the de facto standard. Uh, I think everyone shifted their behaviour to accommodate that, which is. It, it, it doesn't feel good to think of it that way, but actually, I can't blame anyone for doing that, including yeah. me. So yeah, the the, sign, the signs were there, but when when you it's like, I'm going, I'll keep going with cheesy phrases. I'm, I'm in cheesy Monday mood at the moment. It's you know when you hear the call, you answer it. You, you know when 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 it's the right when the student was when the student's ready, the master appears. All of these kind of things. Yeah, when it is the right time, it is the right time, and it is not the right time before then. It's it's not the right time afterwards. It is in that moment. That's that sliding door moment. Um, and I I can very acutely remember how I felt being in a hotel room that night going this is it i've lost everything and i've lost everything did from, you from from me being basically behaving in that way and 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 being angry and yet on and you know it's the internal stuff and this is this is i, I think this is a human thing i don't think it's just it's just men although men seem to do this very well 
there's a very big difference between that outer persona and the inner persona. And for, and for me, the outer persona was like, hey, everything's good. I'm fine. I, I can weather any storm, la, la, la. And inside I'm going, no, 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 this is this is not yeah. good. I'm falling apart. But I think as, as a bloke and, and certainly a lot of blokes I talk to, being able to, to articulate that openly, being able to talk about where you are, is not something we're used to doing. It's not something which no. is – it's encouraged. You know, I mean, I've got books on here about masculinity and and – talking about stuff's really cool and it's encouraged to talk about your problems it's a bit like saying be yourself it's a very simple concept but it's very hard to execute because we're going back and we're unraveling all these things in the past but but the signs were there the signs were there i just now i I can see them and i can read them a lot better and hopefully i i act upon those signs a bit better now although i probably don't at times i still make mistakes you know yeah, I think social conditioning has a lot to do with these kind of things because yeah. from, from an early age, we hear things like, oh, boys don't cry, don't show emotion, man up, and all those kind of things. So as we bring that with us into adulthood and we hide our emotions, we don't cry, we don't do any of that stuff, someone says, how are you doing? I'm okay, I'm okay. <clears throat> Even though you're falling apart inside, and then we moan and get frustrated with our partners when they say, I'm fine, and they're clearly not. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's also a lot of social conditioning around men, especially in marriages, that um, effectively says the man goes down with a ship. It just happens to be a relationship. Mm. So if you can't leave, we stay in an unhealthy place for too long, and we're also too stubborn to ask for help. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's, I mean, it's fa- it's fascinating, you know, having been, been in a marriage and never thinking that I would ever be in the position where I wasn't going to be married to that person. That that was a big, that was a big wake-up call. And I'm very naively, yeah. didn't know the statistics, you know, what, 50% of marriages end or 50, you know, 50% of, of, of marriages, you know, fall apart, fail, whatever language you want to use. Never thought that kind of would be part of that thing. So there's that element to it. I think the other thing which I, for me is really interesting is, you know, we, we do tend to talk a bit in the, in the dichotomy of male and female, you know, man and woman when it comes to these things, but, but there's so many other different things to it. And the role of men is is very different now. I mean, Richard Reeves' work, I absolutely love you know, reading his stuff where he talks about he talks about it's, uh, men and boys. His his book is is fantastic because it shows you that disparity and inequity between sexes and genders. And I realize I'm kind of mixing sexes and genders. And anyone who listens to this who is an expert in that will you know come and come and tell me off. And I'm happy to be told off about that. Just while my brain's in it at the moment, it's that the role of men has changed so much over the last 20, 30 years that that, that men are still going, actually, what's going on here? And the inequity is, is very much pointed out tends to be the inequity towards females, which is not wrong because actually that needs to be addressed, but, but we're forgetting the inequity in the other direction. And then you add on top of that, you add on top of that the numerous genders which we have and people identify as, that, you know, simply asking a question of who are you, who are you in the context of, of sex or who are you in the context of gender becomes much, much harder and much more complex. And, it's, and, and you know, it's, I, think it's a really, I think it's a really interesting world to step into, but... It's also very confusing. And so 
how do you act how you be how do you behave what do you think what does society think you should be doing what what is you know what are the laws and the regulations suggest that we should i i my brain just explodes with this stuff i'm just yeah. like i i don't know and then i just just i shut down like an android i was like and i just just stop functioning for a while yeah brain brain does not compute yeah yeah and and i and i actually i absolutely welcome i actually welcome it it's I, I think it's a, a great opportunity for people to to learn stuff. I mean, I've learned so much about relationships, even in the last few months, than I ever have done before because I've been actually open and having the conversations. But I think there are still a lot of people who don't, again, particularly yeah, blokes. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, the relationship I'm in now is totally different from everything else I've had previously. And for the first time, I can actually... Well, apart from feeling safe to be myself, but also to be able to show emotion and not get criticized, not get, get judged, just be ex- accepted that, hey, he's feeling whatever he's feeling. And that yeah. that's the one, th- one of the things that's completely caught me off guard. Um, a few weeks ago, my dad got taken into hospital. So when we went there and you know what the, some of the doctors are like, they know he's on his last legs. They know he's gone, not going to last much longer. We know it, but they can't tell you that he's about mm-hmm. to die. They'll skate around the fact and say, oh, oh, um, I think this might be his his last visit here. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? And the way he spoke, uh, it's kind of brought it home and real that um, actually he might not be here next week. He not, mm. might not be here tomorrow. And I just lost it in that moment in a way that I've not done for years. No matter what else has gone in my life, that really caught me and caught me off guard. And she just like sat there, me falling on her shoulder and it's like, it's all good. Like, what the fuck is going on here? It's like, I don't know what's confusing me most, what the doctor's just been saying or the fact I can cry on my partner's shoulder and it's okay. Mm. It's a completely different dynamic. Yeah. No, I'm sorry to hear about that, Mike. It's in a way, it's 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 for the best because he's no longer suffering. So he's he's now at peace. So we can all kind of mm. get on with life, whatever life is. Yeah. It's a big change, isn't it? It's a big it change. Is. I think that ability you talked about there to, to be yourself. And it's a lot yeah. of what I talk about is about being yourself. And it's it's not easy. It's not easy. And 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 be, being yourself to me is a number of things. It's knowing who you are. It's knowing what your values are. It's then having the courage and the bravery to live each day through your values. That's only part of the story. You know, the other part of the story is being around people who are who, who are accepting of, of your values and your view on the world and accepting of the fact that, that that's who you are and those are the things you say and giving you the space to to, to live in that way. And you know, my, I mean, my, my experience is you know, if, you, if you said to me, in my marriage, was I was I me? I'd go, yeah, absolutely. Until now, and I'd go, ah, I was kind of me. There were elements of me, but there was very much a lot of it yeah. which wasn't me. And and it, I don't, and it feels really sad to look at that now and and say that and go, oh, okay. Because then, you know, my, my ex didn't necessarily get the best of me because I wasn't being me, but she got the version of me that was right to show up in that time based on those biases, based on my history, based on our experience. That was exactly the right person to show up. But I look back now and go, that's not who I am. 
at all. And that's yeah. really, that's really hard. So the, the environment that you're in, the, the relationships you're in have to be able to provide that space in order for you to do that. Um, and that, and that's a, that's something which you learn over many years or you start to educate people on it quite early. Which yeah. is what we what we don't see in society. Yeah, society is very, you know, very much based on I'm not an expert on schools. Um, I just think of Sir Ken Robinson when he was alive and his his TED talk on why why education kills creativity. But the idea that we, you know, we do academic subjects and we 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 tick those boxes to be clever. But actually, what we don't do is we don't talk about relationships and communication, and we don't talk yeah. about emotional intelligence, and we don't talk about compassion, and we don't talk about having that space for other people to be themselves and judgment and non-judgment. It's all of this stuff which you learn later on yeah. by the shit hitting the fan. And then you go, what the fuck was that? Okay, now I've got to pick up the pieces of my life and try and put them together into something else. Yeah, I think who who we put out to the world is a little bit like a theatre performance where sometimes yeah. the the best bits are backstage sometimes it's because they need a rest because they've been out there for hours or days but other times it's because actually in the past when we put those parts of us out we got punished for it for some it might be that comedian the joker within that comes out at the wrong moment <laughs> yeah not sure don't know that you'd relate to that one but um not at all, not at all. Other times it's a serious one when everyone's being um, everyone's being too serious and everything's going crazy at that time. We all have these different parts to play, but sometimes it's triggered by the audience. Sometimes that comedian gets booed off stage. Sometimes wow. the one that's trying to lead the show gets yeah. booed off for being boring. And the, if you, that part of you gets booed off or whatever, they don't want to come back out on stage again. We hide away and then just the safe non non um, confrontational versions of us go out on stage and then we want somebody to see the real us whatever that is so yeah who is dave who is dave blimey that's a good one so just talk just talk to what you, you said there which is i think it's really important i when i talk to people about you know being yourself and authenticity i'm not saying for a moment we shouldn't wear masks because i think we do have to play different roles and wear different masks in order yes. to survive um because there are certain times when you can truly be yourself and there are other times where you have to wear clothes and Asda. It, it's it's as simple as that. You know, you, you can't do everything you want. I think what what I see is I see the 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 use of language, which is quite hard. So I'll give you an example. We we did went to stand up last night, did a gong show, put a video out about this early early today, the day we're filming this. And it was it was good. I got three and a half minutes, and then 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 was kind of red carded off, which which is fine. And I felt a little bit of disappointment from that. Um, but I know that, but I didn't I didn't go up there and be anything other than me. Now I wasn't exactly the best version of me for various reasons, tired and brain and all this sort of stuff, and a new venue and all this kind of stuff. But the, there was two things which really stood out for me. One was the fact that the the, the host, very experienced host actually said quite early on, he said, it's a very respectful crowd. So if you've got any kind of, you know, big language like C words or anything like that, you might want to do it later in the day when, or later in the, in the set when, you know, people have had a few beers and they're a bit more relaxed. And I was like, okay, fine. So I ended up going last because I do have a championship level C word in mind. <laughs> but what was really interesting is how, and I spoke to a few other people who come with me along with me is how they felt on edge because of that. It was like, Basically, you're telling us we've got to kind of change who we are in our set to suit the audience. And it's like that automatically puts you on edge. 
So that was one thing which was really interesting. And in the end, you know, championship level C word got 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 dumped. Life was good. Um, even though they didn't didn't like it, too too respectful, obviously. But what was really interesting as well is the first the first guy to was it the first guy to go the first guy to go on in the middle section, never done stand up before. Lovely guy called David. He just he just said, "I want to do this. I've written some stuff. I want to go ahead and do it. I'm going to do it." And we, and we were chatting beforehand, and I said, "Well, you just go up there, and you just you just do it." You just you just literally talk about things which are important to you. You don't know what it's going to be like until you are up there. You've got no idea what it what it's like until you're on stage and you're actually doing it. And he was really worried about about forgetting his lines. And I said, to be honest, I said, no one else out in the audience knows what you're going to say. So if there's something you don't say, they'll think it's normal. They'll think it's absolutely fine. But it was really interesting in terms of looking at how people were adapting to the audience they were in. I mean, you take it out of the comedy context, you know, the comedy club with the the you know the, the airline style seating. Well, how does that look in business, and how does that look in in networking groups? And we're in the same networking group, and I think actually in the networking group we're in, it's actually pretty cool. There's there's not that limitation. It is. You know, how do how does it look? In, and we're not going to give a shout out to it because he he doesn't deserve that this week. Not yet. He hasn't he hasn't worked hard, he hasn't worked hard enough for it. Um, how do you know? How does this show up in businesses and companies? That you, how much of a mask do you have to put on in order to survive in that? And how much does it does it help you? And I, I do think that there's a very clear correlation between authenticity and and the word gets thrown around far too much, yeah. but it's it's a good word between authenticity and energy and energy usage and probably stress and burnout. There's, yeah, there's a yeah. definite there's a definite correlation in all of that, and it, and it it shows up in the research, particularly around healthcare. Yeah. And I went off on a tangent then, but I'm back now. And you asked me a question. You said you said you said about the real Dave, didn't you? Yeah. Who is Dave? Oof. So I I would come back to my values on that. I I would come back to my values, and you know my values very very clearly. I, I love learning, freedom, fun. Though though the values which I Took me a few years to identify them, and probably you know I can I can play around with them. Love can become compassion, um, freedom can become choice, or it can become maverick. There's there's various various different ones on there, but when I look at all of those four, I can see where I've made decisions. I can see where I have lo- I've changed jobs or left careers, or I've said something or I've thought something based on on those four values. Fun is, is probably the biggest one for me, which fits in with a comedy. But if I'm not going to have fun with something, then I'm probably not going to do it. Or if I do do it, I'm not going to do it well. Um, freedom for me, freedom is variety. You know, I get I get the opportunity. I mean, the weekend, I was down at a show in London. That was fantastic. This week, I'm speaking. I stand up last night, and then I've got three other events I'm doing, one virtual, two in person, all over the place. I've got... I get freedom from that, and I absolutely, and and I love that, and, and love is a big one for me because kind of love everyone really. I think everyone is really cool. And I think everyone is worthy of love, and then learning and learning as a word is not about me learning stuff particularly. It's about me learning. It's about you learning. It's about teaching. It's about community. It's about collaboration. And if I had to take you back to the question, who am I? I am. I am all of those things. And I am me when I am expressing all of those things in some way, shape, or form. And I'm allowed to express those, or I choose to express those. Yeah. That's where I'd go back to. Love it. So with Mm. the being authentic thing, as you say, I think sometimes to to try and be our most authentic selves all of the time 
is going to be as exhausting as trying to hide our authentic selves. Mm. I think a lot of it is about being the most authentic version of yourself that you can in the moment. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree with that. And and the, the, the benefit of, of being my own boss is that I can be, I can be as authentic as I want to be when, when, when I choose to be. Um, if you're working for a big corporate organization where there is a requirement to wear a, a, a suit from Burton's in a particular color and probably, probably a shirt in a very similar color and, and shoes and in a, in a very similar style. And it's how do you bring your personality and authenticity into that? I mean, for me, if I, if I was working in a corporate environment, well, A, I probably wouldn't be now. They'd probably have sacked me by now. But <laughs> what would I be, what would I be doing to bring my personality through? So I absolutely love Star Trek. I love Star Trek. I would probably have a suit that where you open the side of it, inside it would be the face of Sir Patrick Stewart done repeatedly. And that would that would be my thing, or it would be whenever on my bag downstairs, I've got a badge which is a, a Star Trek badge with the um with kind of the rainbow flag style on it. So it it's it's finding ways of expressing yourself in small ways, which which reminds you of who you are which reminds you of, of what you're connected to. And, and for me, that comes back to meaning and purpose. You, there has to be a thread of meaning and purpose through everything you do. And I see too many people who don't have meaning and purpose in what they do. It is, it's knowing that even though you have to be a type of person in a particular way or a particular time, that there is still a thread of you in there somewhere. And, and I mean, I think about my, my A&E stuff days, there's no way I could go into A&E and not put on scrubs like everyone else. And you know, not turn up for work at different times. You just say, oh, I want to do it whenever I want to do it. Or go and have excessive amounts of fun at other people's expense. No, there's there's a there's a, a path you have to tread in order to do that job in a particular way, but you make sure that you bring in other elements of who you are to to sit in there. It, it's, it's almost like having a, having a desk in an office and getting a little ornament, which is you, and just putting it on there. It's, it's that reminder and that connection to who you are at your core. Funny you say that. I actually have an ornament on my desk. Why doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> Which is one of them. Yay! It's one the kids gave me gave me this year. Some they um they chose themselves when we were on holiday in Butlins. They they didn't show me what it was, but um, I think my partner might have had a influence or um, certainly helped hide it and things like that. But um, I suppose um, just for the Anyone who might be listening on audio, I think I should give some kind of uh, description of what the ornament is. <laughs> yeah. Yes, which it is, was. Uh, it's it's eight it's eight inches long and it's it's flashing and moving of its own accord. What is that? <laughs> and uh, and I thought you were a stand-up comedian. You only told jokes standing up. <laughs> no, I can do that too. See, oh, there we go. You see, if you were in a wheelchair, would you be a stand-up comedian? That's the question, isn't it? Mm. It is indeed, and I'll let you answer that one in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> now, what it actually is is a piece of wood that says the best dad in the world belongs to us, and who am I to argue with them? Exactly. And it's interesting. You've got me looking around my desk now. I mean, my desk is is to to give a phrase. It's it's a bit of a shit tip, um, but that's fine. This is because I've been out and about, so I haven't done much. But what I do have is, and it's very dirty, is I have a coaster. So this is a Moomin coaster. I never really got on with the Moomins when I was a kid. It's a dirty Moomin coaster. 
And it is basically two moomins sat in a tree or sat by a tree drinking wine. And the one moomin on the left is saying, it isn't easy life. I mean, perhaps it isn't, but it's full of variety, which is all good. And I got that big. Well, actually, I didn't. Me and my daughter, we were in London last year and we were coming back after three days. She was doing some stuff for a a play she was doing a, a what she doing? She was doing uh, stage management element for it at the, the Edinburgh Fringe, and we went to the Moomin store. And the Moomin store is really cool. And there's only one Moomin store I know of, and that's Covent Garden. And I got her a coaster, and she got me a coaster. So it's a remind. It's a reminder of my little girl, who's not so little anymore, and she's an adult, but she's still going to be my little girl. It's those little things which are are there, which which remind me. It's the blimey. Um, it's all the things hanging on the back of the door there. You know, that's a reminder of of the speaking I've done over the last couple of years. There are lanyards from that. There's plants. There's stickers I've got up the corner on board. There's, there's all kinds of little things which are in here for me. Now, if I was working in a big corporate office, I probably wouldn't be able to have that. But there would be something. Backdrop to my phone or you know, maybe the music I'm listening to while I'm working or any of those things. There's, there's, there's always something you can connect yourself back to. And I, I see too many people who... I think forget that sometimes, just how powerful that is. So on a slight tangent from there, <laughs> to the uh, comedy, <laughs> I've seen a meme all over social media se- several times that says something along the lines of, you've got to watch these funny guys because one moment they're talking to you and the next minute your knickers are on the floor. <laughs> is there any truth to that? <laughs> <laughs> well... There doesn't need to be any 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 underwear on the floor in here at the moment. I don't know. I think I, you know it, it, it's a really interesting it's a really interesting question. I said this to someone the other day that I've always been an entertainer in 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 some respects for as long as I can remember, and I know that comes back to dad's very much into comedy. Um, my mom was born in Dudley, which I think is you know for her she needed she needed a sense of humour to to come out of that. Um, I've always been around comedy, so for me it's very, very natural. And I've already seen, I always see the funny side of things. And working as an A nurse quite early on in my career, you needed to have a sense of humor, but yeah. otherwise you just you just break. You needed to see the dark, you know, the humor and, and the dark humor and everything. And I think as well at school, I was never the one to kind of fit into various cliques. I had a small group of friends, but but they were they were up and down anyway, and they'd deaf you out on various times, depending on the direction of the wind on a Thursday. So I was always very good at being around other groups of people and being being the entertainer. And I'm saying to someone recently that, well, this face is not designed to attract any any attention from my from my chosen sex that I'm attracted to or gender that I'm attracted to. But the one thing which I could always do was have a conversation with someone and make them laugh. So I think there is an element of what is it that people go for in relationships? Because, okay. you know, looks change, looks fade, physical stuff disappears. For me, the sweet spot's the connection which goes deeper than that. Yeah. You know, it's it's a connection on other levels. And, and, to, and to be with somebody who you're connected to, spiritually, emotionally, physically, psychologically, energetically, all of those things is so important. And I, I think that, yes, we can have that physical attraction. You know, we're essentially we're essentially just animals with a slightly bigger brain who can look over fences. That that's what you know what we are at our core. But when you start adding all those other layers into that physical kind of attraction, oh my god, it's just like it. It's just like it wakes things up. And I think about 
I was chatting with someone recently about um, about love languages. So I've done the love language quiz. Um, I've always been in the love language. I've always been very much touch. You see me, you're going to get a hug. I'll, I'll normally ask for, for permission and consent. I, there was a while where I didn't do that. I got caught out on that, and that's wholly on me. But touch has always been a huge, huge thing for me, that physical kind of connection. And I now look at it and realize that it's not just about physical touch. It's about touch on all different levels. But it's actually shifted to be my second highest. Now my highest is quality time. And that's been a really big shift for me to to realize that it's like, oh, this is new. And then I've gone, no, it isn't. It's probably always been there. You know, that quality time element. But what's really interesting is when I was was discussing it, it, it came out that actually comedy is a love language as well. And you can, it's not just limited to the five. You've, you've comedy is is a huge love language that, you know, I geek out on comedy. I find comedy really attractive. I find someone who's got a really good sense of humor and is very quick on those things to, to be very attractive. So the, I can see totally why some people would be like, oh, my God, you're so funny. All my clothes have fallen off. I can, I can see I can see that being a thing. It's never happened to me, but I can see it being a thing. Yeah. No, I heard somewhere this does kind of um, resonate for me a little bit is that when men put good sense of humor as being important on their dating profile it means they want someone who will laugh at their jokes and when women put that on their profile they mean they want someone that can make them laugh i think i think probably on on a base level i think you're right but I think I think what's really interesting in this is is the power dynamic between sexes, and of course, you know, talking broadly about male female here, and, and again acknowledging that there are many different genders to come in. Other into genders this. are available. Other <laughs> genders are available. As I, I said, a student night the other night, I said, "Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, or gender pronouns of your choice." It, it's it's acknowledging all of that, and it's not it's not as, you know, as limited to that dichotomy male or female. But as as a bloke, where where does the where does the where do the potential threats come from? You know, in in a, if you look at a society which is you know man goes out to work, he is the provider, all of those things. Woman is the is the nurturer, is the carer, the looker after her. That's not even a word, but you know maybe stay at home mum, whatever that looks like. And I think quite a lot of society that balance still exists. Man is the funny one, the man is the loud one, the the alpha, the outspoken one, the, the 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 female maybe not so much. What if that flips around? You know how, and it, and it does, and it rightly should. But how how do people feel about that? And I can see that there'd be quite a lot of blokes going, "Well, actually, I think I'm really funny, but my partner, my female partner, is funnier than me, and actually that makes me feel a little bit kind of emasculated or insecure." And it's and it's a it becomes a very interesting dynamic to to play with. It's the awareness of that. But it's the awareness of that in the context of what society normally would say about things like that. So I think that, yeah. that back to your point of, you know, good, good sense of humour on, on a female profile is looking for someone who can make them laugh. But, you know, good sense of humour on a, on a male profile is someone who will listen to them laugh. I I love nothing more than than somebody being able to make me laugh. I absolutely, I absolutely love it. I love just to be in that place where something so funny has happened and, you know, I'm with a partner who can just, just witness that and just, just literally just collapse. It's just so funny. But the hierarchy, the hierarchy of power and sex and gender, <laughs> which yeah, you know, which does exist in some ways, which we've definitely got to work on. It's interesting, really interesting stuff. I bet you still laugh every time you look at your coffee cup. I um <laughs> well, my coffee cup is is a, a BFG one. Um, but I, I I laugh at so many things. 
I think I, I and, and uh, I've got a friend Beth, who's um, an Emmy award-winning comedy writer. She is brilliant. She um, she basically says truth is funny. Truth is funny. I can look out my window here. There's some spaces which are used to go to the local supermarket. It's like an hour parking. I could do a whole routine based on the parking habits of the people of North Worcestershire. <laughs> because, because it's funny how people behave. It's everywhere. I can laugh at absolutely everything. You know, the um, when we first wanted to Zoom a few years ago, when people started doing that, you know, the, the things that people would say on Zoom, the stuff which happened in the background, just so much, so much stuff just to laugh at in real life. Yeah, the number of pe- people who um, got the camera going and, and there's kind of the bathroom in the background and they haven't necessarily realised and somebody else hasn't realised that the camera's going and don't close the door and all kinds of stuff that... It was crazy. Yeah, and and the even down to the things like people selling it. Yeah, people. I'm selling a television, a flat screen TV on on Facebook Marketplace, and they've taken a picture of the TV, not realizing that a TV screen reflects, and and there they are, basically naked from the waist down. It's just it's so it's just so funny what people do. Um, the the challenge is though that actually there's f- funny is great. It's when it's it's when an incident like that, and I'm going to obviously pick on the one of someone naked from the waist down. It's when that's picked up on and it's used in a different way. It's used as a weapon against someone, or it's used to you know, to make someone feel any less human or degrade them. That's when it's not good. Yeah. So the intent behind it, absolutely, absolutely. And I don't think I don't think we're um, while the yeah I, I think this this is where it the, the communication bit comes into it that yes intent is very important if i don't intend to hurt anyone then 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 cool it's acknowledging that even though i don't have the intent to hurt someone i have done and then how do you work that out and actually again it comes down to communication and conversation it comes down to compassion it comes down to to understanding what people have been through in their life and and actually thinking outside of this very narrow kind of box that i live in because of because I have a face which looks like this. I think it was Ricky Gervais when um, when he was talking about people being offended by jokes, and he he just says, "Well, you found it offensive. I found found it funny. You be offended. That's your choice. I find it funny, and that's why I'm happier than you are." <laughs> it's it, it and it, it's. I see. I think. I think that. I think offence is a is a really interesting one. I I, I think like anything, it's not it's not a, a straight line. It's a no. it's an intertwining of things based on context. Um, it reminded me when you said that about the way I use language now is that you know technically no one can piss me off. I can become pissed off, or I can choose to be pissed off, or if somebody does something internally for me, there'll be something which goes on which says that that I'm annoyed by that. But actually, it's I'm I'm reacting to it in a way which is annoyed. Someone, yeah. you know, someone if someone's driving up and down the street here with a with a car which makes a huge amount of noise, yeah, I'd probably say that would piss me off. But actually, they're they're just doing their thing. They're just getting on with getting on with life and making a ton of noise. How I react to it and how I respond is the important thing. That's some of the work I did did years ago. Was how do I react to something which I would say that made me angry. But flipping the language to "I am angry at that," and then opens up that conversation to "I'm angry at that because oh, okay, because I feel this way and I notice that." Cool. Why is that? Well, and, and you unravel it and track it back as far as you want to go, and it comes down to to the offence bit is not you've offended me, but 
I am offended by that. Yeah. That's a very different conversation. It's like, okay, thanks thanks for telling me that that offends you. Um, and I'll have Ricky Gervais' approach to it, which is, you know, basically, what's your point? But at the same time, it's acknowledging that actually there are times when we might cause harm and maybe just kind of easing back a little bit just helps with that. It's it's it, it's individual, it's contextual, and it's for me, it's yeah. important to get down to communication on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit on some something very, very important there, and that is that nobody can actually make you feel anything mm. without something going on within you that says, I, you are now, or I am now, angry i am frustrated i'm sad i am happy yeah and and it's and it, again it's it's interesting that while no one can ever make you feel anything there are things that people can do which will put a lot of pressure on you and can lead you in a particular direction where you may end up at that point but it's it's realizing i think i think it's that it, for me it's that realization of i'm feeling this oh that's interesting yeah. What what does that mean for me? What what's really going on for me in in all of that? I think yeah, it it is it is really interesting. I mean, if people are doing things deliberately to annoy someone else. Then yeah, probably should have a word about that. Really, that would that's that's kind of taking it a bit far. But it's doing that from a place of response, not reaction. Yeah, definitely. Mm. As I hit, I've seen so many people on the dating profiles say, "I I just want someone to make me happy." <laughs> yeah. Can you do that with yourself? Can you look in the mirror? Happiness what is an inside game. Brings happy. What ha- brings happiness to you? Because yeah. the moment we start looking at our partners, saying it's your job to make me happy, we put an immense amount of pressure on them. We need to take responsibility for that for ourselves, really. Yeah, ha- happiness is an inside game. Um, and, and you know, going back to to that, I mean, one of the going back to. Side of thought on the thing about you know other people pissing you off is that a lot of it we talk we talk about the thought element of this that you know happiness is an inside game it's essentially thought created we if if we choose to be happy we're happy if we choose not to be happy we're not happy that's all well and good until you are somebody who is in a position where they haven't got enough money to to heat to put the electricity on to have lights to have food they're not there going, oh, you know, happiness is an inside game. It's like actually for them, there's an external thing which needs to be done, which is they need more money so that they can put the heating, lighting on and feed themselves. But ultimately, yeah, you you choose. I mean, I, I, I remember, I remember when I first started meditating, it was, I was really annoyed because it didn't seem to gel with it and I couldn't stop those pesky thoughts. And then someone took me to one side and said, it's not about stopping your thoughts. It's about, it's about being okay with them and being with them. And, and I do I do a showcase, which is turning into a keynote next year for, for the Professional Speaking Association, which is called How to Be a Happy Human. And the reason it's called that is because How to Be a Happy Human is a beautiful alliteration, and I love a beautiful alliteration. But actually, the key the key thing is, is I'm not helping people to be happy. I'm helping people to be content and accept and, and spend time in the moment. That's the thing. And if that moment is sadness or it's... Uh, frustration or it's anger it's being with it in the moment and going how do i want to how do i want to deal with this because we we spend so much time pushing away emotions which are so negative it's like i feel really sad i don't want this and push 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 and then when we have happiness we're like this is really good i must keep this so we're constantly in a state of 
either worrying that the, the, the shitty emotions, you know, I call them shitty and that's a judgment on my part, but those emotions are going to stick around and never leave. But then we sit in a place where we can't imagine that actually our happiness would stay around for a while. So we hold on to it too tightly. We, you know, we want it to be there all the time. And actually that frustration, that worry and concern that happiness is going to leave us actually makes us unhappy. So it becomes, or actually we, we end up unhappy because of that. So it becomes this really interesting dichotomy. Happiness is happiness. Sadness is sadness. Anger is anger. It's what you do with that emotion. And yes. in Buddhism, they, it's one of the phrases which comes out, which is the, uh, the problem isn't your thinking, it's the thinking about your thinking. It's what it means to us. You mean that wasn't originally Captain Jack Sparrow? No, he was um, – <laughs> no, because the Buddha didn't drink rum. So and I don't think he did boats. He did oh, trees. He did trees. Fun. He did trees, mountains, and caves, but not boats, as far as I'm aware. I mean, we we never we never hear the stories about the about the 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 Buddha and his windlass as he, you know, went across the the, the seas to find strange new lands and fought pirates. We we never heard those ones. No, maybe we should. Maybe we should. That's it. In fact, that's it. That's we're going. What we should do is we should go on Wikipedia and rewrite the entire kind of Buddhist story <laughs> and turn it and turn it into a seafaring mariner story. Or maybe your your next uh, comedy sketch, mm-hmm. Pirate Buddha. <laughs> I do have something in my comedy about a Buddhist retreat, but that could be a different one, couldn't it? Like a a Buddhist a Buddhist water park. Mm. Yeah, what would you? Oh God, they say that's just now my brain's just firing off. And what would a Buddhist water park look like? Mm. Lots of yoga mats on the water. <laughs> it could be. It could be. Um, yeah, Buddhist retreats are fun. I enjoy Buddhist retreats. They, they're great fun. Not enough meat, though. That's the only problem for me. Yeah. And I think what you're saying about the emotions when we try and hold on to the hang- happiness or think that the anger's going to stay around forever and whatever, we just need to remember that this too shall pass. You're having the best day of your life. This too shall pass. Mm. Worst day of your life. This too shall pass. Yeah. I, I, would, I was going to London at the weekend to a show. And I left the house here in Bromsgrove, probably 8.30. First train, I got around 9.30. Second train, 25 to 11. I should have been in London by quarter to one. I arrived in London at quarter to quarter to five. And the reason for that is that, sadly, there'd been a fatality on the line. And the train which we were on, there was already a body on the line, but the train we were on hit that body again. And the the, the person who did the body who, who had the body they 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 were dead, they were gone. But it meant that it upset the whole rail system. And this is a mainline route between Birmingham and well, mainline route essentially between Glasgow and London. So it was pretty disruptive. Now, an older version of me would have got quite frustrated by it. Now, as it happened, I had I had a combination of, of jelly beans, water, and a, and a and a chocolate bar, so life wasn't too bad. And I had there were some people around me who I didn't I met on there, and they were really good fun. And I was I was really just being aware of my internal state because I wanted to get to London for a, for a good reason. I was looking forward to getting to London, but it was put into the context of everything which was going on. Got a seat, I got book, I got snacks, I got music if I wanted it on my headphones. I got company of people I could talk to. Um, I went out to chat with the driver. It was the third time he'd had to deal with that. So he knew he was going to be off work for a little while and it was going to hit him and he was getting a lot of grief off people. But I also know that that actually the person who who felt that they needed to do that must have been having a really tough time. And 
there's going to leave an impact on their family and it's done their friends and partners, people who wouldn't be, who would have been are now kicking themselves over the fact that maybe they didn't see the signs they should have looked at. And when you start to work all these things through that, yes, it had a huge impact on other people's days, had a huge impact on my day, but I could choose how I wanted to respond to that. You know, I could get really frustrated and ragey and, you know, every station person who came past, I'd be like, why the fuck have we got a train to get to London? And, and actually that wasn't a game that I wanted to play. And and I could see people getting quite frustrated. And this isn't a, this isn't a story about all, oh, you know, holier than thou because yeah, it was frustrating for me, but you could see people getting really agitated by it and, and they would just ended up carrying that agitation with them. And as it happened, I didn't carry any particular agitation. I didn't get to you know, go for an ice cream at Covent Garden in the afternoon and didn't get to go for a nice hot chocolate. I was promised and all these things, but still got to do all this other stuff and got there when it was right to get there. Now that's a huge thing around acceptance for me. It's only taken me 50 years to get there, but it's really very cool in terms of how you manage your energy and how you you view the world when you kind of go, what can I control and what can't I control? And actually you realize that all you can control is this and everything else you can't. And when you realize that as a moment of depression as well, because you're going, shit, is that all I can control? But it's also quite free in going, that's all I can control. It's it's a it's a fun so for me, it's a it's a fun game to play. Yeah, mo- most of the things we can control really are how we respond to external stimulus, whether it's be respond or react. We can choose what we put into our mouth or not for the most yep. part, choose what goes in through our ears as much as possible, and choose how we view the external world. Yeah, and and that is all part of that process. Um, the mental diet, the physical diet, the emotional diet, the spiritual diet, all all of those things is really important. And and I think there's there's a there's a path which people go on. And people step off at different points. There's firstly there's that that there's the part of the path where you don't realise you got a problem and you just go no everything's fine, and you you never change anything because you can't see past that. And then that catalyst moment comes along where you go bugger i've got to change something and then you go off on that journey to change something you change what you bring into your world emotionally spiritually you know academically nutrition all of those things and you cut out all the things which don't work for you and that's really good i think there's a stop-off point there where people go and now i'm just going to sit or not now i'm just going to sit but they choose to be in that place in a very, very happy spot, but they don't get to see anything which goes on outside. They don't get any alternative views. They don't get anything which might come along and just make them go, ah, maybe if I see the world from that direction, it will change things. But those people who do then go on that journey and say, I've cut down all the stuff which I'm bringing into me emotionally, so I'm I'm not reacting to that, I'm responding to it, who then go back out in the world and say, you know, with a load of compassion, a load of time and a load of questioning and curiosity, I'm going to go and talk to people actually believe something different to me because there may all be something in what they say, which makes me think, ah, hmm, I didn't see it that way before. And so there's all these steps along that line of recognition of what you can control and what you can't control, reducing what comes in, but also opening up the door a little bit and going, oh, actually, can we talk about that? Can we, can we have a conversation around that? Because there might well be something in there which is useful or exploring it and going, yeah, actually, there's there's not much that I'm going to play within there, or I'm not quite ready to look at that yet because I'm still feeling a, a, a response to it, a reaction to it, and and that for me feels like it's a lifetime's work. But we all want it now because you, you can order 
you know, you can you can order 50 little docs off Amazon and have them delivered next day. So why wouldn't you want your emotions and emotional regulation to be kind of now, 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 I want it now. But it's a lifetime's work. It is. Yeah, it's God, it's very like deep for me, very life. deep for me today. This is, I'm very sort of, um, so. It's almost like our whole society is a bit like a microwave because messages, letters, all in an instant. New relationship, swipe right, instant, but at the at the same time, most of these, you can even get your food in an instant as well. But all the things that are very high value or worth, feel like they're worth a lot, take time, effort, and investment. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great there's a great story, which I, I tell clients, probably anyone who, who hangs around me long enough, and we get into the conversation of enough. And it's, it's a story about Joseph Heller, who wrote the book Catch-22 got invited to an event by um, a party which was run by another author, a very successful author who got a huge house and the assistant welcomed Joseph Heller in the door and they, as they wandered through towards the party, the, the assistant very, very lovingly told, you know, told Joseph Heller about all the things that this author had and, you know, a helicopter and a Ferrari and a house in Spain and all this kind of stuff. And then said, oh, did you know that my boss – their book sold more in a day than your book Catch-22 sold in its entire lifetime. And Joseph Heller stops for a moment and kind of just, just looks at them and goes, mm, nods a little bit, bit of a stroke of the chin, that kind of thing, and said, yeah, but I have something your boss doesn't. And the assistant's like, oh, oh, what, what's that? And Joseph Heller just says, enough. enough. And it's and it's it's a big, for me, it was a really powerful story of, I mean, one of the things I talk to clients about is the difference between safety and safeness. Your safety is that protection thing. It's I'm earning money to buy things which I really like because I want to impress someone who doesn't really care about me and look in a particular way and, and change how you feel about me. But then I spend money having to protect it from people taking it away from me. Whereas safeness is I know who I am. I know how I approach the world. I know what's important to me. And I'm confident in all of that. So wherever I go, I will always have that element of me there and I'll have I'll have safeness. And it's knowing that, you know, I've got I've got a nice car. I like a nice car, but at the end of the day, is it really that important? Well, not really. You know, does it matter that my two dining room chairs downstairs in my front room are the same make as my table, but they're a different colour? Well, no, because if I if I'd have waited around to get them exactly the same colour as my table, then I wouldn't have any chairs. I needed somewhere to sit. That that was the important thing. But it, it's it's a re it's a restructuring. It's a it's a, a translation. It's almost like a reimagining of what everything of everything you think, and it starts in yeah. this. Yeah, it reminds me of um, Jim Carrey when he stepped away from movies for a bit. Yeah. He was interviewed, and someone says, "Well, why why are you stepping away?" He says, "Well, this is probably the only time you will ever hear a movie star say this." And it's because I can look at myself in the mirror and say, I've done enough, I have enough, and I am enough. And that was not long after his uh, spiritual awakening, moving past the depression and all yeah. that kind of thing. And they said, well, will you ever come back? He says, maybe. If a shift, if a script really intrigues me and I feel called to do it, then I'm open to it. But at the moment, no, I'm just as happy painting and doing my other stuff. I mean, it's, and it's a huge, it's a huge awakening to, you know, we we live we live in a world where the, the the you know the currency and the economics are based on currency. You need if you want to be if you want to have your basic human needs 
um, met, you need to be in a position where you can have lighting and heating. For, for the most part, I'm talking about it from the you know from the perspective of the Western world where we live. But the thing, but then to to have all of those things. I mean, how many how many people you hear the stories about people who have all this fame and fortune and wonderful cars and wonderful houses and feel and feel fucking lonely. And, and even down to what I read, I read recently Steve Martin's um, Born Standing Up book, which is is immense to read. And you read his story about where he started and how he got into comedy and the grafting he did and how he twisted his comedy to different things and then went into film. And towards the back end of the book, he's talking about the time where he was doing like arena tours to sort of 24,000 people. And the, the process would be be on stage, you get all this love and adulation, but then he'd be out through the stage door into a car, off to the hotel, in the hotel, and it'd just be him because he was so famous he couldn't spend time talking to anyone or being around anyone because he was he was scared that they would be after something else, there'd be another agenda. But also his while his fame had got him so much, it had also left him in a place of total loneliness. And that, you know, when when connection and community, and it's one of the things I talk about, when connection and community is so important, is, you know, I can understand why people want fame because they believe it's about connection. Yeah. But I think it's actually about disconnection. I think you disconnect from yourself and you actually do disconnect from people around you. But I know, well, I say I know, I'm, I'm sure that there are some people who can actually balance celebrity and fame with community connection, humanity, and they, they do a really good job of it. The irony is they're probably not that famous because they've got they've got the balance right. But yeah, I think there's so much in this we can play with. Yeah, definitely. So if you could pick up a magic telephone <laughs> and speak to yourself in the past, pre-therapy, what was one thing that that version of Dave need, needed to hear from you today? Mm, that's a really good question. It's the usual cheesy one of it's going to be okay. Um, well, it's would- cheesy Monday. Cheesy, cheesy Monday, right? Cheesy Monday. I think there's for me there, there would be a a big part of acceptance. It would be. I mean, I I still you know I still wake up in the morning sometimes and I can find a million and one reasons why I'm not cool or successful and why I look in the mirror and go, my God, you've got a big nose, which is probably designed for snorting drugs. So I've got all of these things I can tell myself already. Um. But I know that that was that self-deprecation was was much harder when I was younger, and it was it was much more damaging. So that that phone call would probably be more around acceptance, and it would be it would be looking at developing the tools to actually recognise what is really good and invaluable, and 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 showing you know and showing the the older version of me that that there actually there is an element of enough and yes you can strive to do those things because you choose to but don't strive to do those things because you have to it's acceptance of who you are and where you are and that it's going to be okay i mean there's still a lot which could be improved in my life massively um but from where i am at the moment it all feels pretty good so yeah, instead instead of thinking it as a finite destination, to be honest, the only finite destination really is the end of your life. That is the bit which is coming regardless. When it comes, we don't know. How it comes, probably, you know, don't really have an idea either, but some, there'll be some clues. But understand that you, you're on that journey right the way through. So enjoy it. And I'll probably slip them a piece of, you know, a little message afterwards with, with the four values on and go, these are your values. Go and live your life via these. Hmm. And, and lottery numbers. That would be the other thing. Um, <laughs> lottery numbers and race and race winners from things like the Gold Cup over a few years, and yeah. So, 
You mentioned um, acceptance. Is there a difference for you between acceptance and settling? Um, yeah, one begins with an A, one begins with an S. So <laughs> settling is, um, I think about settling in the context of, of meditation. So there's a meditation called the settling, grounding, resting and support. And you either focus on breath or you focus on, on sound. And there's other things you can focus on, but breath and sound are the two main ones. And settling is about almost that that arriving in this moment you know it, it's like it's like the ritual which you, you do in meditation it's the you know it's the sitting alert and dignified but also also comfortable and relaxed it's the the process you go through to recognize the breath it's the you know with the out breath you you relax more you become more more settled you become you arrive in this space i would almost say that if i had to if i had to say they say i'd say no oh hello I'd probably say that it's more to do with settling is the precursor to acceptance. You have to get yourself to that place where you can settle long enough to see the areas where maybe you're not accepting yourself and see the areas where you're still pushing and struggling and and actually you're settled into a really good place where you're prepared to actually start working through that. That's how I that's how I would look at it. Although if you ask me the same question tomorrow, I'd probably I'd probably make something else up. And why not? Because it's, I think, but I, that, yeah, I mean, I, I'm that, that answer for me. That 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 feels right. It feels like it. It makes yeah. sense that settling is. I'm here. I'm arrived. It's like settling. I settle for a. I settle myself so that I can do a call, or I, you know, I settle myself so I can go to sleep, and then that's when the work begins. Excellent. If anyone is listening to this and thinking, "Ah, oh, that Dave, he's a really cool, dude." Um, <laughs> I either want him to tell me a joke or I want him want to um, speak to him about coaching and all sorts of crazy things or I want to show him my feet. What's the best way, way for people to get in touch with you? Well, well, don't show me your feet because I'm not insured to do that anymore. So any advice I give you would be would be incorrect. As I can, but I can recommend it to other people. Um, if you want to come and find me, there's, there's a few places to find me. They've got a website, www.davethecoach.co.uk that currently has a, a little place marker up on it saying I'm still baking some website content because I was meant to set it up a bit more and haven't done anything with it. But you can contact me through there. Email hello at davethecoach.co.uk. In terms of social media, the, play, the place I play the most is LinkedIn. That's where I post every day. Um, so I am Dave James. Is I think I am Dave James might well be my thing, but but I'm yeah Dave James. Come and find me. Weird looking photo on there, um, and I post every day. And then probably only I've got some various things I do for coaching on online. But the one if you want to follow me on Instagram, it would be my Dave stands up profile, which is my stand up comedy one. So it's Dave and then stands with an S and then up because if you do Dave stand up, you get a guy from America who's not as funny as me. And he doesn't need any more followers. <laughs> so those are probably the you know the areas I play in. And but yeah, come and have a chat with me if you want to have a chat. Love it. So final question for today, or the final one that's going to be recorded anyway. <laughs> and it's the same question I ask everybody, and don't prime him for it because I want to get the most authentic answers as I can. Ooh. And the question is this: as this podcast is called Relationship Revolutions. If there were one thing that could bring a revolution to the world of dating and relationships, in your opinion, Mr. Dave, what would that one thing be? Communication. Total communication with two sides to it. One, one, obviously communication, two sides in a a relationship. It could be more, but 
coming to it from the place of I am ready to communicate openly and without judgment of myself, but also I am ready to receive communication from somebody else without judgment and the other person doing the same thing. Communication, 100%. Beautiful. Love it. And that is something that is um, very much lacking in the world, not just in relationships, but in business, politics, everything. Yeah, and I I can tell you that in terms of my relationships, it's only recently that I've been in a relationship where – the communication is so good that I'm like, where were? And it real it made me realize how poorly I communicated in the past. But it's not just about me communicating; it's me being in a space where I can communicate and and be seen and heard as well, and and do the same for my partner. So that's that's huge. How did you meet her? Oh well, that's for uh, that's for another day. But I'll tell you, it was not on an app. Real life, mate. Sometimes that's the best way. I would I would say to be honest it's probably the only way. So yeah, it's the only way which works. It's the only way which works for me because it's it's like the speaking I do it's all about energy. It's all about I I don't get clients necessarily who work. I've got some clients who've never met me because they're in other countries. Oh, I've frozen again. Look at that. And I was only rubbing my arm and it decided said I was giving it a thumbs up. Um but the 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 energetic exchange which you get in real life I think is very hard to do virtually. It can be done. Yeah. But I think you, you cannot beat the energy you get from being in a space with someone. Yeah. Interestingly, I met my partner online. Now, well, previously, I deleted myself from just about every other um, app there was and thought I'd kind of worded my profile in a way it could be business, could be personal kind of thing. And then I thought, why am I doing that? Why have I got that there? I don't get any clients from it. I'll just go on there and delete it. I went on there with the intention of deleting it, and there's this message from this lady. So I thought, well, I'll give it a read. And it says, I like I like something about your profile, especially where you say this. Like, okay. And then noticed she was only eight miles away. and thought, okay, maybe. And then I looked at her profile and says, I will never make the first move. I thought, got you. <laughs> <laughs> so we chatted for two or three days, met up for a quiet drink, and the rest is history. It's... It can be done. And and there's so much in that around, it was the last ditch. It was, I am about ready yeah. to remove all this. I've given up on all of this shit. And then that's when, that and see, that's the point, I suppose, where it becomes the, the acceptance and the freedom and the settling, however you want to put it, is, right, I'm done with that. I'm now ready to energetically move on to something else. And then if you want to go down the route of the universe, the universe says, and now you're ready. Yeah, yeah. I had to be, become the right version of me first. Exactly. It was that was the perfect moment for it. And it couldn't have happened in any other way in any other time. Thank you for listening. And if you haven't already, please leave me a review on your preferred podcast platform. Click the like button and also subscribe so that you get the new episode notifications. I'm curious, what did you take away from this episode? please share your takeaways with me. Send me an email to relationship-revolutions at theloveengineer.rocks.